Paul said, I press towards the kingdom of God. The problem with now that we're this many years away from World War II, which had ended in 44, 45, <clears throat> was that we don't know what it means to fight for something except fighting with your spouse. <laughs> That's what we fight for. In the same sense of fighting for the things of the Spirit because the enemy in John 10 says that he comes for one purpose, and that is to kill, steal, and destroy. And I could, I could take all morning giving you his tools and his ammunition and telling you about what he does for that, to destroy that. To divert attention away from what God is and who he is and what he says you are in him. And it's easily to fall into that trap very subtly until you wake up one day, how did I get here? I was called to be this and now how did I get here? Is because I stopped pursuing God and started pursuing stuff or people or a thing or something else. Or I fought to be right about myself instead of being unrighteous with God. So I think that the one thing that the Holy Spirit is saying to us in these days is knowing that I'm restoring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children of the fathers. Now, when we have, this verse of Scripture has been so taken out of context so much, it's not about, you know, your sons and your daughters and, you know, we got to get all back together and all that. What it was originally was the fact is God said, you fathers quit telling the stories about how you were delivered out of Egypt and what the nation was called when you were slaves in Egypt. You stopped telling about the miracles and the might and the power of that. And because you stopped doing that, you have a generation that doesn't know the might and the power of who God is. When he talks about fathers and sons, he's talking about generations, talking about the greatness and the might and the power of God. He's not talking about your son and your family and all that. I mean, you can use that. But the reality is, and he said to them, unless you go back to that and rehearse in their ears and tell them all that I have done to bring you out of slavery among a people that was there enslaved and that you didn't even have any identity, they were not called Israelites until they were brought into the land of Canaan, their promise. <clears throat> so when he's saying, I want to restore the hearts of my sons and my daughters, you and, you and I, not your own children in your household. I mean, that's, you can use that. But he wants us to remember that he knows the end from the beginning and the things that he said in the very beginning. He said, I'm restoring you to the heart. You're my sons and my daughters, and I'm restoring you to the father, not just to a, an individual father, to the father. And once we understand that we're called to the father, it makes a lot of things more simple and easier to understand that. Jesus said in John 18 and verse 36, he said, my kingdom is not of this realm or my servants would be fighting. If you're fighting here, that means your kingdom is, is not there. If all of your warfare is flesh and blood against one another and who said what and who did what and all that, it means that I've lowered my position to an earthling and not to a heavenly place with him think about that if you want to win you go to the father if you're going to lose this you're going to go to the enemy and hear and, and hear the trash talk that he says to trying to redirect your attention redirect your fight redirect your thoughts and come up but instead of coming up to the father and saying what do you say 
And when he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, you're a son, I'm proud of you, you're a daughter of the Most High God, then all of the other stuff that's been said here on a lower position means very little, <clears throat> has no value. So when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this realm, in other words, I came here, but there's a reason I came here is to reconnect you to the, to the Father. If you, went, if you went into Genesis 1, I'll just give a little quick preview as Joe was saying, I started a series last week on seeing the unseen. You that were here, remember I said, shut your eyes and, and you're able to see more right now than you can see with your eyes open. Doesn't make sense, does it? But when I have my eyes shut, I'm no longer distracted by what I see. I can see what I can't see. Paul said in, in Ephesians 1 and verse 17 and 18, this was an apostolic prayer, I pray that the eyes of your understanding, not the eyes in your head, not your natural eyes, the eyes of your understanding would be able to see or be able or be enlightened. If you read the book Power of Imagination, that stands out big. There's the word photizo, we get the word photograph from. So Paul said, I want the eyes of your heart to take a picture of what God has for you. But if I'm busy seeing with the natural, I never can see the supernatural. But I'm so busy in saying what's doing this and this is happening, that's going on around me, that I'm stuck down to a level of belief. I started out last week talking about there's a difference between faith and believing. We have to believe. So we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, we, were, we are saved. So belief has a place in that. But he says, faith is a substance, Hebrews 11. Faith is a substance, which means material. It's tangible. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, in other words, an expectation, and the evidence of things not seen. So in other words, faith doesn't operate without evidence, but the evidence it has is the evidence of what's not seen. So if you're believing God for something, and you look around and say, well, it hadn't shown up in my doorstep yet, and the check's not in the mail, and this, and they haven't done this, and that, this hadn't come about, then we discount what we have in faith because faith is evidence, and the evidence is what I can't see. And God, notice the scripture says it's without faith, not belief, it's impossible to please God. Faith sees with the heart, belief sees with the eyes. We hear the saying is, I don't believe it until I see it. That's what happens a lot of times. People are so operating in logic that they can't see what God had in store. I went through a terrible time in my life in, in the 20s and found myself a single father raising three children alone. Thought my life was in it, thought, thought it was over. And the Lord reminded me of what he said to me coming back from Africa setting a little, little room in, in the airport in Heathrow. And he said, he said to me, you're going to come out of this in the power of the Spirit. But just know you will not hear from me for a while, but you'll have to trust me what I just said. For three years, I did not feel, sense, hear the voice of God, the presence of God in any way. Until one day I was in a meeting and a lady stands up, didn't even know who she was, said, you back there. This day the Lord says, and, he, and the word he came, he said, you're going to come out of this in the power of the Spirit. 
She stood said, this day you're coming out of the power of the Spirit. I thought, whoopee. I went through hell to get here. And it was still a little bit while after that. Here's my point and reason. Diane was pulling out a, pro a prophecy that was given to she and I in 1999, a lot of it related to this, this church here. And it, it has all happened, just except one little thing. It has all happened. <clears throat> My point of sharing that was, well, I went through a lot of things I could not see, and the devil was screaming at me, where's your God now? Where's all those prophecies when you were a little boy? Where's, where's the, your understanding of the word God now? I'd read, and it was like reading, you know, nothing. Got nothing out of it. Where is your understanding now? You've wasted all that time. you put your family through it. Now what? If God be for you, who can be against you? But what will you say to these things? If you don't speak back to these things, that means you're in agreement with them. <laughs> Interesting. And I said, I was born with him. I will die with him no matter what happens in between. If I perish, I perish. To be able to see in the unseen, there's times that we go through things that test our ability to see to train us for what we can't see. Can you imagine Abram taking his son up the mountain? Daddy, where's the sacrifice? God will provide with Jehovah Jireh, famously. I see the wood and I see the you know, the, the, everything necessary for the sacrifice, but I don't see the sacrifice. Yes. Abram knew something that his son didn't need to know because the Bible says Abram believed God and it was accounted to him. It's a literal word. means it was to put in a depository for him. Do you have a deposit in heaven or are you, bank, or are you with overdrawn? <laughs> Literally by stepping in and believing and operating and, and acting out on everything God said, there is a depository. And I, uh, the show I did, Sid Roth, that I did actually last August, did 14 shows called The Currency of Heaven. There is the, the smaller version of a tape series there. They sent me that and said, hey, we're right at the end of production with it. and It'll be coming out in a few days. Literally talks about how to Look at the value that God says has value, and it's the currency of heaven. Heaven doesn't care about, you know, gold and silver. I mean, it's got, it's everywhere out there. But what it looks at is what have we deposited in heaven. And one of the depositories we place in heaven is faith. Operating when you don't see it, when you don't feel it, but you still do it anyway. Because most of us are so emotionally caught up in ourself, self-centered, to where I just go by how it feels. You heard my story last week about not wanting to come to Tyler and, and all the things I had to overcome emotionally to get here. So there's this point where you pass through the sound barrier of the soul. You break the sound barrier of the soul where everything naturally is screaming at you because you see something supernaturally. Most of us wouldn't be any different than the prophet who steps outside and there was the, I think the, the Arameans that they were surrounding, they're on the hills and they came to kill this prophet because he was so strong he 
He knows what's going. The king is saying in his bedroom, they're they're going to kill him. Bring a whole army out for him. His servant who had been with him, but hadn't had the same encounters of the Lord with him, he looks out and he goes, "Oh, what's all this going on? They're going to kill us. We're going to die." He might maybe start racing through. This is what I get for hanging out with guys like you. The prophet says, "Open his eyes so he can see." He sees the unseen, but it is as real as anything, more real because it's an eternal reality. Everything you see here is is a natural reality, but it's temporary. That's what he said. The things that you see are temporary. The things you don't see are eternal. So when we start operating for the eternal, the temporal becomes, has less and less value. I love this phrase. And I don't mean it sarcastically. When I feel like the enemy's pressuring me, saying something, I just say, I don't care. You, this, is, this is temporary. This has no dominion over me. I've set my affection on things above. This is nothing. I may have to take care of it, deal with it in the nasty now and now, but it's not the bigger thing. I want to make a deposit in heaven. I want to pass the test. I want to have something there, then come up before the Lord and saying, you're empty. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know there's going to be rewards there because when you come before the judgment seat of Christ called the Bema seat, which means that we'll give an account for the things we did in the flesh here and rewards are handed out. He is a God who is a rewarder of those who diligently, not pastime, hear me, God is a rewarder of those who diligently, not just part-time, seek him. Meaning seeking means I'm looking for God in everything. I'm a seeker. He'll hide something from me in order to get me to look. And in the looking, I come into something else. Well, that's, I don't even know how I got into all that, but nonetheless, I got a note here saying, be sure, Kirkwood Connect, Diane and I will be in our connection group at Spring Creek 530 Tuesday. We'd love to see any and all that would want to come. All ages are welcome there. And I, I just want to say something too. I know today was the Mission Sunday. I got a letter from... Uh, uh, from Ukraine, a friend of mine, Valentin. His, not, his name is not Valentine, it's Valentin. And uh, his wife, Tatiana, good friends of ours. I've been there a number of times. And you're talking about persecution. The Russians are just pushing against them, coming into Ukraine, and even into Odessa, Ukraine, where they're at. But you know what they're doing? They're extending more aggressively than before. They are now gathering up, Valentin, all the Holocaust victims. They're even going to... Israel and providing for them and ministering to them. And many of these Holocaust obviously they're in their 80s, are coming to Jesus. Being delivered and set free. It's amazing. They're out in the streets giving out food, ministering the poor. There's Jews there, but it's also Gentiles. They're coming to the Lord in faith there. I mean, they're doing remarkable stuff there. The economy is shot. That's why we support them. So when you give to missions, it's going to help do this and give towards them. There was not too long ago a tribe in Ethiopia that was discovered called the Limba tribe, L-I-M-B-A, Limba tribe. The Limba tribe had traced their ancestry back through DNA to Queen Sheba, which Queen of Sheba, which was Ethiopian queen. Queen of Sheba evidently had something going on with David 
because she had children with him. And so now they're back in, back in Ethiopia and they are Jews. Who would have thought Jews in Africa? They didn't even know what was going on, but they were keeping the feast and nobody had ever taught them about the feasts. It was in their heart. So MJBI discovered them, went in there and started talking to them and the chief gets up and saying, from this day on I make a decree you're all Christians. <laughs> you are Jewish Messianic Christians. And they said, you can't do that chief, it is individually. He said, okay, everybody stand up who wants to be a Christian and wants to be a part of this tribe. <laughs> well, you know, so they all stand up and, and declare the, the name of the Lord, repent for their sin, ask Jesus as a Messiah into their heart and the whole tribe gets saved. They started a Bible school over there and graduated their first Limba slash Messianic class. I think it was 34 of them. Most of them were already pastoring churches throughout Ethiopia. And it's amazing. So God's going after all of them, all, all of them. And so anyway, just wanted to let you know, we're supporting them called, it used to be MJBI, and MJBI is kind of absolved into something else. This is Jewish Partner Initiative, and it goes directly into Ukraine doesn't go into, you know, a place and they give them a dab of it. 100% goes there. I've been there and seen them done. They're pushing back on communism throughout Europe as well. All right, I want to get into really uh, quickly, again, part two of the seeing the unseen. I think a way of understanding this would be, there was a guy named Roger Bannister. How I many of you remember him? A few of you have. I don't. I was, if it was, I was a baby. He was born, well, he wasn't, he was the first athlete to break the four-minute mile. It was impossible, people said, for a human to break four-minute mile. And because of that, it was continually put out in front of everybody. You can't do it. So when you're told you can't do it, there's something inside of you said, well, why try? He was a medical student at the time, and so he began to look medically what it would take to have an oxygen level and, and, you know, muscles and everything else that he would need to do that. He wanted to push beyond that. So on May 6, 1954, he was in Oxford, England, and he ran, he ran the, a mile, and he, he came to um, 39 or 3 minutes and 59.2 seconds, right under 4-minute mile. As soon as he broke... The four-minute mile, 46 days later, there was an Australian guy that did it. Since that time, a four-minute mile is not considered very good. When we have in our mind that this is the way things are and this is the way life is and we learn to settle for it and we learn just to accept the way it is and this is just how things are, we tend to bring our, our thinking around that frame of reference. But to be able to operate in the supernatural and things beyond what you see in the natural, you have to be able to break through what you think and break into what he says. There's a lot of things we read in Scripture and we think, well, that's just for certain people that operate in the miracles and all of that. But actually, God has called you and I, every one of us, it's in our DNA to do that. But we have to be delivered from all of the mindsets that says it can't be done 
or we have all the experience of saying the times that people failed and it couldn't happen, all the times I prayed for people with this disease and they died or sickness came on, and we, we shrink what we think to down to what our experience has told us. To be able to move into the unseen realm of the spirit that Jesus talks about where he's at, we need to realize that we're called to it in the very beginning. And we, we are earthlings here have settled for a lot less. In fact, I get aggravated at myself over the time. I said, how come I didn't think or know this before? That I settled for a lot less than what God intended for me to. I thought I was operating faith. I was operating in faith, belief with a little bit of faith mixed in every once in a while. Let me explain it like this. Proverbs 23 says, as one thinks in his heart, so they become. It's an interesting part of that, that next, there's a part of that verse says, and they will say, I'll eat and drink with you, but my heart's not with you. In other words, I'll tell you what you want to hear, but my heart's not really connected to you. I'll tell you what you want to hear as a man pleaser, just to appease you, but my heart's not really there. Look all the way through scripture where it says God looks not on the outward, but he looks on the heart. The heart is the very issue into the supernatural realm. Now, I know we use the word heart, you know, emotions, center of emotions, and, and a lot of different ways, but it's really the, it's the epicenter of the body, but it's also the epicenter of the spirit of God inside of us. So when you use the word heart, it literally means the real you, the real me, the real character, the real integrity. I can learn to say all of the right things, but my heart is the issue. I can change what I say, but not necessarily change my heart. Because behavior comes out of the heart, not my words. I can tell my wife I love you and then there's something completely else. So what I'm saying is I'm not being true because my heart is far from my words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, how can that be incongruent? The mouth is saying really what the heart wants it to be, you know, but yet we haven't brought our heart into subjection to the Lord, so it's not there yet. So when we talk about the word heart, we're looking at the word trust all the way through. You find places in Scripture that says, is your heart as my heart? We're walking together in this. So it's the trust issue. It also is the same idea of covenant. That if I think in my heart one way, but I'm saying something else, that I'm very deceptive. It'd be interesting you put, put somebody on a lie detector test and, and you, the heart's going to show up. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is the truth detector. That's why he comes and he brings conviction. Yeah. But we deceive ourselves and we're saying, well, I'm, but I'm saying the right things. But that's the issue is down in the heart. And I'll get into that in just a moment. And I want us to see how we can operate in the supernatural and get above all of this. I'm not going to take time to tell you all the stories, but I've, I've seen and tasted it to see in a moment in time, usually in another country where I didn't have a plan B and is really close to going to jail uh, in Africa, in Uganda at that time. It was years after the Entebbe raid and it was, not, it was not a friendly place and trying to get into Ghana. And the Lord had me in a position that I couldn't go forward, I couldn't go backwards, I couldn't run and he just told me, he said, go out at the airport, which I had no visa for and he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I said, but God, 
they won't let me on the plane. He said, go and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Finally, the third time, I realized I was arguing with him. I don't know where people think, well, I argued with God about this as if there was something to be proud of. I mean, that is dangerous. I was operating just out of ignorance. So I went to the airport. Some of you have told you the story before. Put my ticket up to Ghana. I'd already been, you know, gone two weeks there in Uganda. Saw powerful demonstrations of the raw power of God, people getting delivered, witchcraft things that, you know, the demons that we think around here are just toys compared to the stuff they are there. They don't mind telling you who they are. And I put my ticket up there and the, and the agent got mad at me, says, where's your visa? And I said, I have no visa. And he started railing at me and you Americans, you're, you're arrogant. You think you come over and get your ways and all this. Get out of here. I just stepped back up and I said, told you so. And then he said, but I'm telling you, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I'm just standing there. I had nowhere to go. <laughs> I couldn't go back to a hotel and I couldn't go, you know, the next country. I was a man without a country. All of a sudden, two Africans broke out in a fight next to me, two big guys just pounding one another. And I didn't think I was the guy to jump in and break it up. The guy who told me no was mad at me, jumped out behind the counter, broke it up with them, and another agent came up to the counter and said, can I help you? And I just put my stuff out there, and he said, the plane's leaving right now. Get on it. And I, I've got your luggage. I don't have time to tell you what happened on the other end. I get there. I'm thanking God on the plane. God, you're so good. Wow, you really did this. And then it dawned on me, I still don't have a visa. <laughs> and the American embassy had already told me they had incarcerated people in Ghana for such a thing. My younger brother's with me. He had never been out of the country before. I felt responsible for him. And I just told him, I said, we get separated, you call for the American Council Embassy. And the Lord said, did I not tell you you were going to Ghana? I said, yeah, I know, you got me into Ghana, but I don't know where I'm going from here. And I saw literally salvation of the Lord. The guy, guy that's the head of the immigration department had just gotten saved. It was on a Saturday afternoon, and he doesn't work on Saturdays because he's the head guy, but the guy normally works that, son, that day, got sick. All of a sudden, was nobody to come in except that guy. We handed our visas. He knew, found out we were missionaries. He stamped the visas for free. We got on through, even after they found money on us that we wasn't supposed to have, and they got us on through. I stood on the outside of that, and I said, my God, you're real. <laughs> Did you doubt me? I knew it was possible, but I not entered into the realm of that. Because when I pass through the point of believing it's possible to step into faith and going and seeing it done, there's something that broke inside of me that broke everything around me that now I see a, to some degree in the unseen world. It's very real, folks. But the problem that keeps us seeing what we see is doubt and unbelief, and they continually, Jesus dealt with his disciples. He said, did I not tell you if you would... If you would believe, you would see the salvation of the Lord. You would see these things coming out of that. Let me give you quick things that really interrupt what, what happens in the seeing realm. Number one is obviously our thinking. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart, for out of it comes the issues of life. And the word issues there is translated the paths, direction, destiny. 
because your heart being the center of it sets a course for where you will land and end up. Your attitude, your character, and everything sets a path for you, and where you are, it's because of your heart. So that's pretty general. I'm just telling you what the Word's saying. He's, he's, he is the general. So he's saying guard your heart because there's enemy wants to plant stuff inside of your heart to change direction of the issues and the path, of, a path that we would take. When I went through all this as, you know, young father, I just, the enemy kept saying, you have a right to be mad. You have a right to go get your girlfriend. You have a right to be this. She did this. She didn't do this to you. And God said, do you want your rights or do you want my rightness? <laughs> he said, if you will stay right with me and righteous with me, I will show you things you've never seen before and I will unveil myself in a way that you've never known before. But if you choose right now that you're going the carnal, earthly way and you identify with that, then what you're saying is I'm more satisfied with the seen world than the unseen world. And I was very curious about the unseen world. So when we recognize that everything is the issue of the heart, that's why in counseling many times we've learned to say the right things and, and we can identify an issue, but it really comes down to the heart and nobody can deal with the heart except the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't counsel the heart. You can't do anything. You can't say, uh, you know, abracadabra, you're free now. It is the issues of the heart. The heart will always expose itself. When, I, when we are offended, the offense carries, may start out in our mind, but carries into the heart. And when it goes into the heart, it will literally cover up. And the God of this world now takes charge. And we spend a lot of time being bitter being a right fighter, being I was justified, I was right, I could feel this way, I had a right to do this and all that. And that offense shuts us down and God is saying, you have chosen a lesser God, the God of this world. If I had time, we could go back and maybe we won't, into Genesis 3 where it says, we were created in the image of God. I just recently discovered something that just blew my mind that when that manuscript was written in the original, it is, and I put it in the book, Imagination, it's the thoughts of the Lord. It is, but it goes way beyond that, and it means literally, he said, you were created in the image of God, and the word image there is translated in the status of. In other words, I call your status or, or is to be a son and a daughter of, of God. That's your status. You can choose not to have that status, and God's intention for Adam and Eve was to have this status that they would be sons of God. And when they chose not to be sons of God, a lesser God comes in, the God of this world, comes in and puts in an alternative thought outside of what God says, and they lost their status as sons of God, which was to operate in the glory of God, to be so completely covered up by God that you, could, you know his thoughts, you know his feelings, you know everything about it. You're not struggling with anything. The tree of life is there for immortality, and because they chose knowledge, you know, knowledge puffs up. I want to be all about here, 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 here in logic. Doesn't mean I shouldn't have any, but it means when one trumps the other, it means that I've, I'm eaten at the tree of knowledge not the tree of life. Right. The tree of life always brings out where Jesus is. The tree of knowledge brings out what's trending in populace. <laughs> you can tell where people have been eating lately by what they talk about the most. <laughs> Thank you. 
got a cheering session here too, anyway. So it meant that I called you to a status or a position, not unusual in Ephesians 2, where Paul says, who's God that taken up the third heaven, we believe. He said, you, we are seated in heavenly places. That's not just a, a, an ethereal, spiritual kind of thing. It was a literal understanding that your status was to live in a heavenly realm that you would govern here on earth as it is in heaven and you would govern from the seat of, of, of heaven, not from the seat of scorn. Psalms 1, blesses the man who does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Opinions, my way, no way, I'm mad, I'm not glad. You know, you made me mad, so therefore everything's your fault. It's all about blaming. Blaming is sitting in the seat of the scorn. Even if somebody did something, I don't want to sit there and spend and waste bandwidth and energy and strength and time about what they did. I'm trying to, if I have to prove that I'm right, that means I'm more concerned about me. It's self-rightness and not about God-righteousness. Jesus had every right to feel self I mean, what they did to him, he knew no sin, but you know what? He chose not to make it about him. He said, Father, forgive them. Now, that is seating with him in the heavenly places. So, Jesus came to restore us back to the status of being sons. When I say sons, I'm, you know, not transgender, any gender, any whatever, you know. I'm just, there's neither male nor female in him. Creation, sons. So Jesus wants to bring us back into sonship with him, seated with him. Now Romans tells us that those who are led by the Spirit, they're what? Sons of God. The sons of God was a term that was originally set for them, for them to know that they were, and he even said in a place, this will blow some of your mind, he said, did I not say that you were gods? What? What? Don't get upset. It's not because the word Elohim, God's plural. He didn't, he didn't say Elian, which means Jehovah God is over all the others. Because he created these others, these demons, these angels, all of these, they were, they were called gods before they were even termed angels. And he said, one day that you, because of how you living your life out here and living in such a way and, and allowing Jesus to restore us back to sonship, one day you will judge angels. Yes. But right now we're made lower than angels. We don't have authority over angels. We can't tell them what to do, but we know one who made them that we can appeal to that he'll call them into that place. So operating in that unseen realm is critical and it's huge. So when we understand that there is a status, we can see it when Moses said, show me your glory, and God said, there's a place by me, but you gotta get in this right place. It's not just a hole in the rock, this status, this position is Jesus. So those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God, and right after that verse of Scripture when he says, and this earth is waiting eagerly for what? The sons of God. Why? And I've read that a ton of times. Why? Is because the sons of God, this earth was created so that we would, we would rule it and, and judge it and, and have dominion, cause it to be cultivated, cause it to come into its full potential. 
But we lost it in the garden, but Jesus says then in his garden, the garden of Gethsemane, said, not my will, but your will be done. Now, look at that. Jesus in his own heart had all right and could have said, you know, I've had enough of this. I've had three and a half years of being persecuted and acted this way. I'm not going to the cross. Let them all think their own way. I've put up with them long enough. But he said, all God and all man says, Lord, not my will, thy will be done. If you want to sit in the heavenlies, you have to get to that point. It's not my will. I don't care how you feel, your emotions and what you say or don't say. It's not my will. And when Jesus said, not my will, your will be done, then later on, because a soldier tried taking, there was nothing in him that would resonate with them. They kept falling down because they had no dominion over him in this, in this world because he was seated another place. Here's my point. There's a place by him in Jesus to where we get so much so filled with him and his heart and his mind and who he is in such a way the cares of this life and the cares of this world that's temporary anyway at best loses its hold and grip on us and then we're thinking with the way he thinks and we're sitting at this position in the heavenlies and govern with a greater authority. The word glory just doesn't mean chill bumps. Like been in some Pentecostal, ooh, I feel glory on me. Nah, you just got excited and thank God for that. The word glory actually is the word kavod, but it means the weightiness of authority. When he says I'm moving from glory to glory means from authority to authority. You have authority in a, in a level of position but the greater authority that you have is because of what you overcome in the lesser positions. You have authority because you overcame bitterness, strife, unbelief, doubt, and all of those things. You get authority because I refuse to be offended at people. You gain authority because I refuse to be mad. I refuse to, to allow the cares of this life to stick on me. So you're carrying the glory. Adam and Eve was glorified in the garden. They lost the glory when they started getting filled with Gnosticism. Jesus has come to restore us back to being glorified with him. It's all going to be about a wedding. He's preparing a wedding. Some of us are just trying to get through the day. He's, he's got a wedding in mind. Marriage supper of the lamb. Old things pass away. You're not, when you get up there, people say, I'm just going to talk to Paul about some stuff. I'm going to talk to Paul about marriage. So he didn't know nothing about marriage, never was married. That's probably why he could speak on it better because he wasn't biased from his experience. I guarantee when you get there, the central theme and everything about it is going to be the lamb, yes. the glory, the light of the light of the world is there, and you're not going to care about any questions that you have that were so minute compared to here. He's preparing you to have a mind, the mind of the anointed one. The physical heart sits right in the middle, central. We know that. And the lungs sits on either side of that. So the lungs represents breath, pneuma, if you will, a spiritual text. The heart, karadiya is one of them. Lava is another word that they're using in the Hebrew. And the heart sits right in the middle. The life is in the blood and the breath of the spirit. So two things he says is the center of who you are physically and also spiritually is the life of the blood and the breath of the spirit. Those that are the sons of God 
are going to be led by the Spirit of God, but those who understand the blood of Christ have a voice that speaks into the heavens, and both of those give them the authority to destroy the works of the devil right here. But he can, complete, he can pollute the stream and pollute us from being able to see how, what God's calling us to do. All right. I want to look at how can we, how to change the heart. I've got to do more than change my mind. I've got to change my heart. I can get up today. I'm going to change my mind. That's the word repent. Metaneo, change, change your mind, change the way you think. But how many people you know repented and then went right out and did the same thing they just repented of? They had a change of mind, but there wasn't a change of heart because the center of everything is the heart. You can change my mind by threatening me, but you can't change my heart with threats. Like the old kid said, I'm sitting down, but inside of me, I'm standing up. It's called passive rebellion. Okay. I want to look at how do you change the heart from that. Genesis 11 and verse 6. Very interesting. We have the Tower of Babel. God comes down, and he looks at them and sees the work that they're doing, realizes that they're trying to build a tower that reaches into the heavens. Well, that ha no, but you can't do that. I mean, how, what difference does that make? They really wanted to elevate themselves as a position of God's. And God comes down and he says, he noticed, he realized that there was nothing impossible to them for two reasons. Number one, you read in Genesis 11, said nothing is impossible to them that imagined or proposed is what it is. There was something that they had a picture on the inside of who they are and says, I'm believing this. This is what it looks like. Without a vision, people are scattered. So they proposed something to, and everybody understood it. Everybody understood the plan. So everyone that was building on the tower understood exactly what was going to happen. So number one is that they had an image or a picture of something going on on the inside of them, what they wanted to accomplish. If you're in business, you can't, you can't accomplish anything unless something's inside of you saying, what do you want to accomplish? Just to pay the bills for the day is not much of an accomplishment. That doesn't last long. The second thing says, and the whole world at that time had the same language. They understood one another and they understood the plan. So think how powerful this is when the imagination or the status that God has brought us into, we understand him and understand what he wants done and we've got the same language. So what is it that the enemy tries to do to disrupt us from having breakthrough? And that is the fact is he wants to disrupt communication. I mean, whether it's families or what, I, didn't, I misunderstood. He wants to create misunderstanding. He wants to create twisting words. That's the Leviathan thing. Well, you said, they said, and they said, how you say it? And we understand it based upon what we think those words mean. And when we get into that, we don't understand. Then we have the word confusion. The Bible says where confusion is, there is every evil. Evil. Now listen to me closely. I make mistakes with my mind but I make choices with my heart. I'm going to say it again. I make mistakes with my mind, but I make choices with my heart. If I'm adding a column of numbers and I come up with the wrong answer, that's a mistake. 
But if I've chosen to do something in rebellion to God that is hurtful and, you know, that, that dishonors God and all that, that was a choice that was made inside the heart, out of the abundance of the heart. So I can't, you know, say to someone that I care about and love and saying, you know what? I'm trying to think of something bad to say, and I'm just, I'm so good I can't even think something. If you believe that, you, I, I've got you sunk in already. If I say something so disrespectful to my wife, and say, oh, I'm just kidding, sweet. I'm just kidding. No, I wasn't. Out of the abundance of the heart, the heart made a choice to say something to demean her and to place her in a lower position so that I could control and dominate her. Submission doesn't mean coming under another person's I, agenda who they are as, as a man oh you got to submit to me because I'm man you're a woman the word submission means come under the mission if the mission is for that we would destroy the works of the devil we come under it in mutual submission together there's things that I do that I can't, she can't do and things she does that I don't want to do it works out really well I think well y'all didn't think that was too funny So mutual submission is not just about a man thing or a woman thing. It is about submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's the mission. And he will exalt you in due season. So if I'm the man, I'm forcing my wife, you submit to me, and yet I'm not submitted to God, then I've lost authority. I don't have any authority. The only authority I have is what she allows me to have, and that has to be by trust. She's a reflection of me, the glory I... Um, She's just reflecting the glory that I put on her now. So we realize that, that the language, in order to get into the unseen world, the language has to be of the Spirit and not carnal stuff and have a prototype or something in mind of what I'm believing God for. If you're believing Isaiah 54, my children shall be taught of the Lord and great peace shall be upon them. Get that inside of your heart and let your language be congruent with the bond of the Spirit. Ephesians 4, coming in, endeavoring, working hard to coming into the unity of the Spirit, not the unity of people. You'll never get that. The unity of the Spirit. What does that mean? The Spirit of truth says what, the whole, what God says. He'll take of Jesus, give it to you, so he is the Spirit of truth. The unity of the Spirit is operating in the truth, not operating in opinion. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace means that now we're operating in the Holy Spirit and we're, we can move into the unseen world because I'm moving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't care anything about our opinions. Well, I think, no way. Well, quit thinking. I think, no, quit thinking. Well, I read, well, quit, you know, it's not, it's what God said. He's bringing us to this status with him in heavenly places that we're operating in the unity of the Spirit, declaring on earth as it is in heaven, what he's saying has a work. Kingdom life has words of kingdom life. We're in a culture that's wanting to be relevant to the culture, and we miss being relevant to God. We accept sin so easily because we don't want to be offensive to people, and yet sin is an offense to God. So now we've come into the unity of a culture, not the unity of the Spirit. 
be very careful. If something, those things do not grieve you to the core, then something's wrong, then we've suppressed the Holy Spirit or does he even live there? Because the Holy Spirit feels the grief of, the, of, the, of feeling that same thing. All right. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. And he's quoting actually out of Isaiah 64. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man what God has in store for us. In essence, God says, I've got things ready for you. You can't see it in the natural. You haven't even heard about it, but I've got it in store for you. If it's in store for me, how do I get there? I can't get it through any other way. Hebrews 13 gives the key. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise through Jesus. He's the key of David. He's got the key to the storehouse, and I'm going to have to go through him. I'm not going through a theological treatise. I'm going through Jesus. It's all about the Lamb of God. It's all about Jesus. Our worship time in church is all about Jesus. It's setting our affection upon him. It's not picking people apart. When we do that, we're, we're saying, Jesus, you didn't do a very good job, so I'm going to take over. I'm not trusting you. I'm going to do it. Jesus refers to this in Matthew, the sixth chapter, and he said, where your treasure is, there's your heart. What you value reveals your heart. And sometimes we value ourselves, and there our treasure is. When your treasure becomes the love of God for everybody else and other people, and you deny self, pick up your cross, then you're closer to getting into seeing the unseen world. All right. Here's the last part of this, the next part of how to, how to get into the, in, the unseen world. I was just talking with our friend Tony Kemp. I was sharing with you last week that was in Houston. His first experience with angels was when he was 16 years old, but he didn't even know it was happening. He, was, he lived in another state. For some reason, he was in downtown Dallas, down the Deep Elementary, which is not a good place to be after dark, really, at least in that time. And he said he was leading a group of other youth, and he said, I got lost, and I didn't know where I was. There wasn't any GPSs or anything. And he said, I was so fearful because everything around me was just saying, you're not belonging here. And he said, God, I don't know what to do. He said, all of a sudden, there's a guy appeared off to my right here. He was an African-American, Tony is. He's my height, kind of very similar. And he said, the people that you're looking for are just right over there. Turn, go right, and then make another right, and then you turn left, and you'll find them right over there. He got disconnected from his party. He said, as soon as I, I, I looked over where he's going, I said, okay, thank you, and he's gone. He said, I didn't even realize that I had an angel visiting me because he looked just like me. <laughs> he will, God has a way of presenting himself so that we'll not be put off because he's wanting to help us, to minister in behalf of the heirs of salvation. Since that time, he said, I've had many times encounters. I don't tell people and I don't announce it so that I sound spiritual, but I just know when they're there because I've stepped into an unseen realm for the sake of ministering to people, not for the sake of people thinking how spiritual I am so when he says your treasures there he said I value highly the presence of God and he does 
I value highly to the point is that I would give whatever I've got giving. Now, when people can't even give to the Lord the tithe, that means the fact is they don't even consider it a value, but they want, they want all that he has. But giving is a reflection of the heart. It's always been a heart. It's what Jesus refers to it. The widow lady, it's all about her heart. She gave the two copper coins about the heart. Everybody else, these rich people gave, they wanted people to see it. She gave two copper coins. Jesus said she gave her all. Do you see that he measures things differently than we measure it? According to one's ability and according to the heart. So the next thing happens is we have to give, make room for the, for the Spirit of God in our life. Make room for it. How do we make room for that? Give way to him. Continually submitting to him, not arguing with him. Continually submitting to him and say, not my will. Because the heart, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who could even know it? I realize my heart, not this thing, Miss Mutherstone pumps blood here, but I know in my heart as a fact is there's a humanity that pulls. Paul said there's part of me that says to, I do it and there's part of me that says I don't want to do it. I'm stuck between that. It's the word merimos. I'm split between the two. To the point that we submit ourselves to God, then the pull of that becomes less and less and less. When I don't, then I, my natural ability starts manipulating to get my way like a small child that throws a fit and the parents give in to it, then they'll never, we'll never know the supernatural side of God. We'll only operate in the carnal thinking, the Gnosticism. And I can only read you stories out of the Bible about God, but never entering into a place, secret place with God. Let me tell you want to explain that a little better. Remember in 2 Kings, there's, a, there's several miracles that took place by the prophet there. Let me just refer to a couple of them that gives us some understanding of how God thinks. Second King, this is chapter 4. This is Elisha during his time. A woman of the prophets who was well known came to the Elisha and said, my husband who's been a, one of the prophets, sons of the prophets, people know, knew him, said he's died. And we are now in debt, and the creditors are coming to take my two sons, put them in dentured serving, what they could do, and make them work out the debt. And Elisha comes to her. You remember all these years that you have the sons of prophets sowing and sowing and sowing, and so they're now up in a position for God to come with a miracle. So Elisha said to her, and you know the story, what shall I do for you? You, you know the story, then what should I do for you? She, but he wanted her to tell him. What do you want me to do for you? Whatever. I mean, that sounds like some prayers people, whatever. God, you know it all, whatever. It's not a whatever prayer. What is it that you're wanting to see, take a picture in your mind, believing God for? Tell me what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing. Interesting. Has nothing but, well, but has something. Nothing but a, a jar of oil. Then he said, go and borrow all the vessels you can find. You know the story there. And she goes to all the neighbors, buys all the potteries, the jugs, the vessels, everything she can find. And the oil continues to flow as long as there was room for it. My point is this. The fact is the Holy Spirit will continue to pour into our life, to work in our life as long as there's room. But when that room is taken up by space of bitterness, doubt, and unbelief, being offended, having time to worry about what somebody else is thinking, that is just filling up garbage there. And we, 
we push out. We, we lose the room and the capacity for the Holy Spirit. It's like having the bandwidth. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the, enough room on the hard drive. I wanted to do some miracle things. Jesus comes in Nazareth. I was, I was really wanting to do some miracles, but I couldn't do anything because uh, there was no honor there. The word is kavad, no glory there. There was no honoring there. You didn't recognize the authority there. They just treated Jesus like he was one of the boys. Hey, that's when you see when honor is not given, when it's an honor and due, then it restricts what God wants to do in that place. When people dishonor other people, it's a sign that they have no honor and they want to pull other people down to their level. If you want to be, have honor, you give honor, especially in the home. If you want your children to understand honor, you honor their mother, you honor their father. They recognize honor and honor has with it authority. When you've dishonored, then that means no miracle or mighty thing is going to happen here. So they made room for, for the flow of the Spirit of God. The same principle is, do we have enough room for what we're believing God to do? I'm praying big prayers, but I have a limited capacity. It's up to me to delete, if you're, if you're a techie, get rid of stuff that's taking up space that I don't need. Well, I got this picture, you know, in my mind where I got hurt 20 years ago, and I don't want to let go of that. Then he's taking up room that God can't come in and fill that. You can go into John 14, too, and see that. Here's the next miracle right in the same chapter there. There was a, there was a couple who recognized Elisha was a prophet, and they said to each other, let's build a room for him. So when he's in town, we can have a little room and it's on the wall and he can come and stay. There's got a, you know, a bed, a table, a little lamp stand there for him. And when he's there, he can stay with us. Because they honored him and made room for him, they got the prophet's reward. So Elisha comes and says, what would you like for me to do? You want me to speak to the king for you? You know, I, and I'll speak to the, the, the guards over here for you. In other words, I will use my authority to bless you because you've made room for me. And the lady said, uh, I don't need anything like that. What do you want? She said, well, my husband's old and we're up in age and I don't have a son, which is the legacy. And he said, okay, this time, this next year, you're gonna have a son. Oh, don't lie to me, don't lie to me. Don't get, my, you know, don't get my hopes up and then you treat me like that. Don't give me, you know, give me a word and yet do that to me. Man, I would have been then. <laughs> you unbelief right there. Well, she has a son. You know the story. I don't know how old the son is. Sometimes goes by and, and all of a sudden the son's out working with the father in the field and he collapses. They bring him in. She said, take him up to the prophet's chamber, put him on the bed. She had already made room for the prophet. So now when it came time for the miracle, she didn't have to scramble. She had room, made room for it. Sends a servant out, gets, gets a, uh, Elisha says, I see her, her coming and the Lord has hidden it from me. What's going on? Man, you've gotten it right all this time. All of a sudden, God's not saying something to you. It's because God has a reason. I've been saying all for a year. Everything God's wanting to do is on a need-to-know basis. If you don't need to know, then you won't know. And if you try to make it up to make you think like you know it, then you're taking God's name in vain. <laughs> Sidebar, take it for what it's worth. 
He tells his, his servant Gehazi, here, take my staff, go lay it upon the boy, and think it'll all be well. He's, he's on his way. Because the mother says, I'm not leaving here till you go. Gehazi just beats the trail over faster, puts the staff on the boy, and you know what? It doesn't work. You think a prophetic word in Elisha got Elijah's mantle and everything's going on. He's, he did the word. He was obedient to that. And he lays the staff on the kid and they get there and the kid's still, he's just cold, dead fish, duck. He's dead. I mean, dead then. Elisha goes in. He's, he acts like he's a little perplexed why it's not going on. Finally, he goes over and he lays on the boy, just stretches out over him, eyeball to eyeball. And he breathes into him. Keeps doing it, breathing into him, believing, breathing into him. Instead of saying, well, I gave it a shot and it didn't work. He contends for that. All of a sudden, he feels the, the little boy getting warm again. Not from him, but it's getting warm. He gets up and walks around a little while. Praying all the while, God, I know that you've given this woman a promise. So therefore... It's not what you said to give her a son and then take his son away. He does it again, gets on the little boy again, all of a sudden the little boy twitches. Light comes on him and the miracle happens. When we make room for the things of God, for the Spirit of God, then we have the Spirit of God that makes room for us. To get into the unseen realm, how much room have we made for him and how much room is taken up with the rest of the world stuff? When I don't trust God and I try to make it happen on my own, then I have narrowed the capacity for what the Holy Spirit can do. You've been manipulating, doing it on your own for so while, then I'm going to back off and let you do it. So we come to the point, saying, God, I want to turn things over to you completely. Let me give you one last verse of scripture, and I'm done. Second Corinthians chapter 3, which could have been my text. I'll end and start with it. Remember Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians, he uses a, an illustration. 1 Corinthians 10, he said, I'll not put any more on you. I was talking about the Lord, not put any more on you what you're able to bear. With every temptation, I'll make a way of escape. The word escape is not the back door. It means at, to the end of it. With every testing, because we know God doesn't tempt. He tests, but he doesn't tempt. The devil tempts when a man's drawn away of his own flesh, according to what James says. But God sure likes to test his own work. So you look at, is this a temptation from the devil or a test from God? It's two different things. If it's a test, it means it's for the idea of graduating and growing into another level of authority. To becoming that sons of God that he can trust with greater governance with. This is what he said. Moses used to put a veil over his face so that children of Israel could not steadily see that the glory had departed. Old Testament fading away the glory. But he kept the mask on. Want everybody to see how spiritual he was even though that that had long passed. I'm telling you, that's hypocrisy right there. Hypocrites means one person but many masks. And God's really got issues with that. But their minds were blinded for until this very day, speaking of the Jews, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. 
because the veil is taken away in Christ or taken away in the anointed one, New Testament. But even to this day when Moses, which was the Torah, the five books of Moses wrote, a veil is when it's read, a veil lies over their heart, again, Jews. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, one turns to the Lord, not turn to the problem, turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. One of the reasons we can't see the unseen world is because we're always turning towards the problem or turning towards somebody else who's the problem instead of turning to the Lord, who's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the, he's the author of my faith and he's the finisher of it as well. But anyone turns to the Lord or being transformed, metamorphosis is the word, into the same image from glory to glory. What image? The image of him it's again changed into the status, that word, the status from glory to glory to a glorification so that you're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, not operating in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Bottom line. God wants to partner with you and I in the spirit of the Lord and trust us with this world. Trust us to have an influence in this world. But if the world has captured us, and taken us, caught us up into these things, then how can we govern it? Because it's now governing us. I remember when, when I was there in Africa battling some of this stuff in the very beginning, and we didn't have a grid for it in the early days. And the Lord said, if you fear them, they will control you. If you believe that their power, their juju as they called it, is greater than, than God, Jehovah, then they have captured you and they can possess you. But if you know that I possess you, they won't mess with you. So if this world possesses us and we're intrigued by it and the cares and the fears of all this life, then a curse can't come without a cause according to Proverbs 26. But if I'm cursing other people, and I'm putting them down and saying all kinds of stuff that God didn't say over them about them because he's creating their image, we're creating his image, then that means that a curse can't come. But if I'm doing that, that means that I have built a landing strip that the curses of hell can just come and land right there. And I'm going, why am I having so much problems? Because you built a landing strip. Because curse means putting someone lower than what God said. Kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy inside of us. Let me pray for you. There's such a longing, I think, when all of us, like the sons of God, that this earth is saying, we're looking for leadership. We're looking for someone, and that's not global warming either. We're looking for the sons of God that God created to govern here on earth as it is in heaven. But you've got to shake the dust off of the cares of this world and the cares of life to be able to step into that unseen realm, to step into that place to where that I've made room for the Holy Spirit not just a weekend thing where I go to church and done my thing. That's the trend. That's the trend we're moving into. But when you go into the unseen realm of the Spirit of God, and He says, I want to show you the things I have in store for you.
you settled for this and just thought, man, it'd be cool for this and just live for the moment and don't live, have an eternal picture of what it'll be. Stand before God, I'll give an account for all the stuff that I've done here on the earth or had, didn't do. But we've got time to start living unto him and living for those that he died for. And let self be crucified. So Father, we call upon your name for the very purpose you've created us to be sons of God, not to be paupers, not to be just so frail in the things of God, not to be victims and give excuses and reasons why, but you've called us up to be higher as you did with John. Come up here and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know about, but I do want to show you. Jesus said to his friends, it is for you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Everybody else, I'm going to use parables and I'll use stories. But for you, I want you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So when you know the mysteries of God, you will pray, not as a parable puzzle, but you'll pray as a friend of God. And you won't be praying, God bless me, God help me, God make me, let me, 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 me your prayer will begin to sound like the Father. Those that you've given your life for, Lord, let them come. My identity is not in who people say that I am. My identity is who you say that I am. The Bible says if you'll make yourself of no reputation, Philippians, make yourself of no reputation, then God will protect the one he gives you. It's a powerful thing to get past the point of having a reputation. It's taken me years to get there, but I don't need a reputation. I just want the one that Jesus reports, not one somebody else says about me. Because I can create that by a personality, but I want the person of Jesus. So, Father, we just come and bring our heart before you. Forgive us that our, mouth, our mouths and tongues are so deceitful at times, and our heart is so deceitful at times. We don't even know it. And the issue or the pathway that's, on, that's happening, the simplicity of it, I can change the direction by willing to change the heart, and it takes the Holy Spirit to change the heart. It doesn't come by me saying, I'm changed. It comes by a daily surrender and dying to that. Lord, we, we want our hearts to be so centered upon you. This world is so temporary at best. We want the eternal weight of glory. So we just ask right now the internal working of the Holy Spirit of God to come deep inside the real you, the real me, the real person not the one that we think people want to see or hear. Forgive us, O oh God, of a men or man-pleasing spirit where we won't confront things that need to be confronted. And yet we become weak in flesh.
And I ask, Lord, just allow the anointing of the Holy Spirit to break the yoke right now, to break the things that the heart has been justifying and the heart's been protecting in Jesus' name. As you feel the Holy Spirit speak to you about some, something individual, to stand to your feet. I mean, we could break in line this morning. You don't have to stand up if you don't have anything particular. I'm not looking for courtesy stands. But there is an agreement with the Holy Spirit that causes things to change. He won't let me buy with anything anymore. I can slide things by in attitude and go, not. Nah, Lord, I didn't mean, uh, yeah, Lord, you, uh, you saw it, yeah. All right, I surrender. If you want to go where I am, then you've got to let go of where you are. To see the unseen, you've got to stop seeing the scene. And the same old scene, they did me wrong some. Lord, we lay down being the victim so that we can step into the victor's seat that recognize that you're above all things. Let healing come right now. I can tell you there are times that the body are not receiving healing because the mind is, is filled up with other stuff. A right fighter, a right defender. So if you're right and then still be wrong, how does that glorify him? In the name of Jesus. Before this day is out, allow the Holy Spirit to bring brokenness. If you can't be broken, then that, that, that should be the, the more scarier thing. If you've never been broken, just ask him, God, I can't even do this. I can't even make this happen. But I just ask you to do it. Make me feel what you feel. Make me feel the grief over this as you feel, Lord. The more I defend it, the more I blame, the more I build up a shield that resists the Holy Spirit from doing that. So, Lord, I just ask you today, supernatural doors to be open. Give us the ability to see into the unseen realm that you want to call, you want to call us up there and know how to walk in the Spirit so we'll not fulfill the works of the flesh. They'll walk in the realm that the Bible says that we can become and enter into as the sons of God, not disobedient children. For this house, we're looking for that time, oh God, where the unseen realm becomes normal and the seen realm becomes so mediocre that we hunger and thirst for Him not what anybody else does or doesn't do. Catch our attention, Father, and see the glory of God come.